I broke this the last time I preached. You here? Awesome. Can I be completely honest? I made that video, and I do not think that it feels like the vibe of today. Today's a happy day, right? The music was a little ominous, a little, right? Are you happy? Am I the only one who's happy today, right? I'm about to feel like Oprah Winfrey for a second because I have a giveaway, and you get a car, and you get a, I'm just kidding. Wouldn't that be amazing? I wish that we could give away cars. That would be nuts. So uh, I got a couple of copies of the book that we're going over right now, and the first one that I see that raises their hand, guess what? You do. Y'all decide. You both went out really quick. <laughs> okay, and let me think. What? Oh, birthday? Well, Shua's birthday is today. Everybody give it up for Shua. It's his birthday today. He literally makes everything sound and look great up here. Um, let me see. Uh, you know what? We talked a little bit last week about, or dad did, about um, being afraid of the dark when you were little. Is there anybody you really felt like you struggled with that when you were little? Look at this. This is your, yours. This is my friend. Hey. <laughs> All right. Good deal. All right. Giveaways are fun, right? All right, so here's the other thing. Sometimes to get something, you got to do something to get it, right? So I'll put this one right here. Whenever you want to get it, you can get it, right? Okay. <laughs> nice. <laughs> sorry, that was unfair, wasn't it? I'm sorry, guys. Here. Anybody on this side that wants one? There you go. You're running. I wouldn't forget you guys over here. I'm so sorry. I would never do that. The whole time was was to, anybody else? <laughs> That's awesome. Good deal. You guys are amazing. I love it. Come on. <sighs> Can I tell y'all some quotes from last week that have stuck with me like super a ton? Really, really, really good stuff. So last week, um, our senior pastor, Tom, my dad, um, <clears throat> uh, he talked about uh, the battleground of the mind in spiritual warfare, right? He said, victory begins with the name of Jesus on our lips and is consummated with the nature and character in our hearts. That is so good. Very, very good. Uh, I love this. This is probably my favorite from the, from the whole talk. The enemy has been defeated already. Right? That's really good news. And he went on to say, warfare is not about beating the devil. It's about making us more like Jesus. Amen. How often, you know, do we miss that or forget that or think maybe if I could just muster up enough, I could make something happen as I turn my mic off again. Me and my mic issues are great. It's good stuff. So uh, I'm talking about the church today, the battleground of the church. And let me just tell you, as soon as you start, and I wish that every one of you would have opportunity to like do exactly what I'm doing right now, but 
For some of you, that just scared you really bad. For others of you, I've been waiting my whole life. Um, The second that you start to pray and prepare to talk to or talk about the church, and you're asking the Lord to shed light on something or or just to minister with him, you got to understand, he loves the church. And it gets overwhelming really quickly, especially if you're beginning to partner with his heart for things. It pretty much like wrecks you. It was really, really, really good that my wife and kids went out of town this weekend so that I could just look at my dog and cry and he wouldn't think I was weird because of how much God loves each and every one of you and how obvious that was made in my heart and in my mind as to what he's continuing to do for us. And so as we talk about the church today and the battleground of the church, we're going to talk a lot about love. All right. Is that good? Very good. Awesome. They gave me way, way more time than I thought they were going to, which makes me very excited. That means I get to do everything I wanted to today. Okay. We're going to go over four things. We're going to go over one thing for a long time and three things for a very short amount of time. So let's jump on to that first thing. Uh, I had a quote for you, but I, I forgot to send it in. So have grace for me. So I'm going to read you this. This is from that book. If you just got a book, you're going to be really excited about reading this later. Francis Frangipane says in his book, Battleground, is your love growing and becoming softer, brighter, more daring, and more visible? Or is it becoming more calculated, less vulnerable, less available? This is a very important issue for our Christianity, is only as real as our love. Oh, right? Our Christianity is only as real as our love. A measurable decrease in your ability to love is evidence that a stronghold of cold love is developing within you. What's a stronghold? Were y'all here last week? What's a stronghold? Okay, hold on. A stronghold is a stronghold, right? You're here, it's good, I'm not, I'm not as smart as my dad, right? So like those simple explanations, they make a lot of sense. A stronghold is a stronghold. In Matthew 24, 12, uh, Jesus says, because of the increase in wickedness, most people's love will grow cold. Ugh. It hurts, right? Just to think about it. We have that, I know me personally, like a lot of times when I think about love, I think about a feeling, like a warm, fuzzy, that thing, like the first time I was going to kiss my wife, I was like, oh my gosh, this is love, you know, and like all these things, like these feelings and stuff like that. And it's a little bit more than that, right? So the first thing that I want to talk about is what it is not, right? One of the biggest ways that love grows cold in us is when we have unforgiveness. Ooh, right? We, I think probably everybody in this room is like, yeah, yeah, I know that. I know that for sure. Unforgiveness. Mason, you're not telling me anything I don't know already. But, and this is my big, this is horrible. I think my mom taught me this. This is my big check in my heart. This is my secret. 
okay? I think maybe I've told you this before. If there is someone in a room that I'm trying to avoid, <laughs> right? I always think, like in my mind, when I talk about this, I think about this back corner of the room, right? If there's somebody in the room that I'm trying to avoid or I like run to that spot, I probably have unforgiveness in my heart or bitterness, right? So as I'm saying this, think in your heart, think in your mind even, are there people around me that I just intentionally try to avoid? Do I have bitterness? Do I have unforgiveness in my heart? I think often we think that unforgiveness is only something like, well, you know, they killed a family member of mine. Like I can't, I can't, you know, like something. They stole all of everything. My Pokemon cards when I was a little kid, you know. Sorry, that was this side of the room. I never played that game, but they know what I'm talking about, right? Or like that thing. But maybe it's just that they're different than you are. And you have this weird unforgiveness or bitterness towards them. Make sense? We need to part ways with unforgiveness. If we avoid each other, we need to address it. If you have unforgiveness in your heart, address it. Don't let another day go by. Address it. Love and unforgiveness can't exist in the same place. We, we all feel like we are very loving people, right? But if we're walking in unforgiveness, I'm myself, obviously included, and I'm saying every bit of this to myself. But if we're all walking in unforgiveness, then we're not walking in love, at least not to the amount at which we're called to or is available to us, right? How much better would it be if we didn't have bitterness and unforgiveness, unforgiveness in our lives? Like, bitterness is debilitating, like it shuts you down, it causes shame, and it isolates you from people, right? It's crazy. So what does the Bible say about bitterness and, and unforgiveness? Yeah. Matthew 18, let's jump right to it. Matthew 18, I think they're going to put it on the, on the screen, but I'm going to read it from here. Wait a minute. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. I'm actually going to start right there where it says, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive someone who sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you, not even seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when the servant that had went out, but when the servant that went out he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. Bags of gold, silver coins. Got it. He grabbed him and began to choke him. 
Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all the debt, all the, that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I'd had on you? In anger, the master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. Now this blows my mind. You ready? Verse 35. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother and sister from your heart. Lord Jesus, I ask right now that Lord, as I share your word, Lord, as we listen, as we unpack, Lord, I ask that our minds would be open, that not a single person in this room would feel like I am uh, being arrogant or that I uh, know things uh, that they don't know. Or, or, God, I just ask, Lord, that we would have humble ears just to hear all that you're saying. Because, God, we want to submit to you. Holy Spirit, we want to listen to you and we want to stay in step with you. God, we want to be a forgiving and loving people. So God, I ask so that you would open our minds and open our ears to your word. Amen. When we harbor bitterness and unforgiveness toward a person or even a body of believers, if we harbor unforgiveness towards maybe a church that hurt you or, or a church that maybe you just don't like, right? Then the enemy... Oh, man. And the enemy has unhindered access to us. This is a big deal in spiritual warfare, right? We're trying to be more like Jesus, and um, Jesus has, uh, the enemy has no access to him, right? <laughs> but when we walk in unforgiveness or bitterness towards each other, brothers and sisters, or another church, the enemy has unhindered access. Unhindered means God allows it. You tracking? I know this stinks. And I'm right there with you, right? But when I'm like, I'm not going to forgive you, I'm upset, then God's going to let the enemy have access to me, to you, in our life, in our body, because maybe... Maybe through the torture, you'll run back to him. And maybe through it, you'll realize, oh, Jesus, maybe we'll just realize, I was forgiven so much, I should forgive. Because it's not about being right or wrong. It's about carrying love. It's about looking more like Jesus. So, um, if there's that person that you are avoiding, 
you should probably go talk to them. Or maybe, maybe you don't need to go talk to them because they're completely oblivious to it and you need to just pray and say, God, till my heart, I don't want unhindered access to me. I only want to be wildly and passionately involved with you, right? How many of you feel like that's a pretty good bet? That's probably something we should do. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. We are going to go places today. All right, good. Praise the Lord. All right. <laughs> okay. Whew. All right, that was probably the harder thing that we got to talk about. Maybe. There's one other part. I, as long as it's not Family Sunday, I might say. Okay. Still listening to the Holy Spirit. So here's the other thing. Our love, as it grows cold, right, that like becomes cancerous and it'll slowly eat you away. And then it's like really, really, really sad and debilitating because you don't always realize that love is growing cold. Let me tell you this. Your love is growing cold if you have a lack of commitment. Our love is measured by our level of commitment. I can prove it to you. Not a single, there it is. Not a single one of you would argue that I don't love my wife. I love my wife, not just because I'm married up, but just because she's absolutely amazing. I love her so much. I have a ring that I wear all the time because I want to let the entire world know I belong to her. Not only that, this is going to make my mom a little sad, but I have a tattoo. I have a tattoo ring, right? And I don't recommend everybody do that, but I did it. And so it's okay for me, but you probably shouldn't. If you have any ideas about whether or not to, don't do it. If you're like, I'm in, I'm all in, or like you have tattoo removal stuff later, like because your wife's initials change or something, I don't know, she decides she wants a different middle name, then you could do that too, right? But there's no, nothing in any of us that would say, Mason doesn't love his wife. I'm so committed to her. And not a single one of you would say, no, I think, I think Mason, <laughs> Simeon's over there. I, know, I think Mason loves me more than his wife. No chance. Simeon would be like, no way, because he knows me. And he, and he lives in my, in my life. And he comes to my house. We're talking about Simeon Bueller. He came over and worked out this week. And I made him throw up about 40 times, right? <laughs> Amen. My dude. You still sore? Yeah. Nice. All right. So... Right, like there's this thing and people get in your life and you see and love is measured by your level of commitment. Brad gets up here a minute ago and it's like, create space. Your commitment is your time, right? When we have time, that's how we can measure commitment, right? Like if I never spent time with my wife, you'd be like, you're not really that committed. Make sense? You tracking? Perfect. All right, good. So... Are we committed in our love? We have this culture, and maybe it's more of the younger folks, but we have this culture where we hate labels, right? How many, time, how many of you have heard that statement? I hate labels, right? I don't, I don't want labels. We have like Facebook statuses. I love talking to young people. Now this is like anybody who's like dated or gotten married in the last 10 years. But, like I love talking to young people and you're like, is it, uh, is it Facebook official, like when they start dating, right? You know what I'm talking about? Is it Facebook official? Are you, are you on Facebook? Because we want to know, what's your level of commitment? And there's this whole movement 
where people are like, I'm not gonna put it on Facebook because I, like, I don't like labels. And I'm sitting here going, you're just not committed. That's like me saying, I wanna get married to you, but I don't want anybody to know and I'm not gonna wear a ring, right? It doesn't make sense. So, I think we need to begin to ask ourselves this question. Does the world know how committed I am? Is it evident in my life? Are there signs of my commitment and my love that are evident in my life? Am I committed like marriage to Jesus? Am I committed like this? Like, is it on my life? Am I committed to my family? Am I committed in love? Is my love so committed to a fellowship of believers? Am I committed in love to Riverstone? I said it. Right? Am I committed in my love even to Riverstone? If you are, then the world should know. Is it Family Sunday? It's not Family Sunday, is it? All right, good. Praise God. Okay. Yeah, earmuffs. Okay. So here's the thing. We have so commercialized and consumerized everything in our world that you can have pretty much anything you want whenever you want it, right? I can order something on Amazon right now and it will be here tomorrow. Actually, it could be here today because it's not noon yet, right? Crazy. You can have anything you want and we've over-consumerized everything. But this is what's happened in our hearts and this is what's happened. And it's sneaky and I see it and I know it and I, you know, I've even partnered with it and I'm just asking the Lord to begin to break it off of me in crazy ways. But this is what happens. We make up wild and crazy excuses to withdraw from people. Wild and crazy excuses when our love grows cold and our commitment grows cold because we can just get whatever we want somewhere else, we think. We make up excuses like, well, the music's too loud at that church. I'm gonna go to a different one. Or maybe the pastor said this one thing and it was just like, it was just a little, it was a little too much for me. I don't know. Or maybe our doctrine of end times doesn't line up, right? You're like, I'm totally premillennial, like I'm like postmillennial, amillennial, amillennial, rapturalial, right? All these things, right? And as soon as they don't line up, I'm like, ugh. And God forbid anybody let a woman preach. There it was. You do like that? Hold on. Just stepped on so many toes, right? If we do this, and next week, we'll just, um, you know what? I'm just going to go to passion because... I could be a passionite, or maybe I'll go to North Metro and I'll be a North Metrolite, and then Metrolite. Or maybe I'll just go to North Star, you know? And we get there, and then the same thing happens. 
And you jump to the next place and the next place. And we start treating the church. My stomach just flipped. Oh, Lord Jesus. But we start treating the church like she's not a bride. Maybe a little earmuffs. Maybe a little bit more like she's a prostitute. Just looking for what we want for a moment, for a fix, for a little relief. And if it's not what you wanted, you go and we find the next escort we can find. Rather than being married. Rather than finding life, being rooted. And we walk in this weird bitterness and anxiety and then we just take it to the next place that we go. And we wonder why we can pray for 30 years for revival to break out in Cobb County and it doesn't come. And God's like, you don't want it right now. It will just breathe a whole bunch of fire on all that just messed up stuff. All that bitterness and unforgiveness will just get. He wants to deal with our heart. He wants to bring love, deep, 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 deep love, deep, deep love. I think that as we do this, we, um, and maybe even as I'm saying this, you're beginning to realize that we struggle a lot as a culture, as a people, uh, as Cobb Countyans, whatever, uh, with a critical spirit. Uh, we're critical about everything, and we think maybe it makes us look smart or cool or I don't know what it is, right? But we, we struggle with, with being critical all the time. As soon as something goes wrong, uh, Francis Frangipane in the book, he says, uh, there will be breaches in your wall. No church is perfect, Right? There are things that will go wrong, but your response to those things is what you can control. We need wall builders, people who will build and mend walls when they're breached. We do not need deserters. This is true of Riverstone, North Metro, North Point, Passion, North Star. I can't think of any others right now. Piedmont Church. This is true of every church that's ever existed ever, right? Wall builders, breach menders, not deserters. Hmm. What's a wall builder? I'm glad you asked. When you see something wrong, you don't immediately run to someone and go, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. That's still walking in that same critical spirit, right? that fault-finding, looking for faults. A wall builder is committed to intercede in love-motivated prayer. I'll say that one more time. A wall builder is committed to intercede, to pray in love-motivated prayer. 
They stand in the gap. They rebuild by speaking kindly, thinking kindly, and praying often. A wall builder is committed to resisting the accuser. Who is the accuser? I'm really glad you asked. The accuser of the church is the devil. The accuser of the brethren is the devil. There are two ways that the accuser brings war against us. He can bring full-on assaults or he can be invited by our invitation. A lot of times we don't know we're inviting him. Sometimes you do, and that's a whole other ballgame, right? But there are those times where everything's just right on, and the enemy is upset about progress, and he thinks he's got a loophole, and he will bring an assault. There are other times where in ignorance and stupidity, we partner with him in something that we had no idea we were doing, or we just never learned, or whatever it is, and we don't walk in wisdom and innocence, and we invite the attack of the enemy, of the accuser, and a lot of times, that's what that critical spirit does. We need to not let the devil use our tongues. Does that make sense? We really need to not let him use our tongues. On our tongue is meant to be the testimony of Jesus. That's all of his love, his passion, even his story in the gospel. The testimony of Jesus. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. That's biblical. Testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And prophecy is meant, as Paul says, to edify, encourage, and build up. So what should our tongues do? Edify, encourage, and build up. This is something, I think this is a parenting tip 101. If you ask my little four-year-old, what are your words for? She will tell you, edify, encourage, and build up. She has no idea what any of those words mean yet. But we're trying to start early, right? Maybe sometimes we need to start speaking it into our lives before we fully understand it, right? And just keep walking, hoping God just shines light on the next step. Edify, encourage, and build up. It is not our job to judge or slander, to destroy, criticize, I love this, or fault find. Ooh. It is our job to love, to pray, to be an example, and to submit to God. When we do this, we look more like Jesus. That's the goal, right? To look more like Jesus? You know, I love, I love the South. <laughs> I absolutely love the South. And there was a time where gossip was just like a Southern thing, I think. At least that's the way movies portrayed it, right? So it's real. <laughs> there was a time when I thought that it was just, you know, a few old ladies, sorry ladies, like sitting on a porch just like talking about gossip. You know, what's the latest gossip? Maybe I saw that on Golden Girls or something like that when I was a kid. <laughs> right? What's the latest gossip? It's not. It's a global thing. It happens everywhere, all the time. Yeah. 
and it's a sin. What is something that would like, you, you get in your mind, I've done this, I'm so guilty of this. Again, don't think I'm talking at you, I'm, we're brothers and sisters here, right? But I like, I've done this thing where I have, I've been like, what is that thing? Especially in high school, I was such a jerk. Like, what is that one thing that could like totally ruin somebody's day? I'm going to go talk to my friend about that, <laughs> right? This will be juicy. We can go talk about this. And we have this gossipy thing. And it's always like, what's the next thing? 100% of the time, it's fault finding. Looking for a fault in someone. And we go, I'm just venting. Or we go, I'm just, you know, this or that. Or we cake it. And I love this. I heard a comedian say this one. Or we like hero sandwich it. And you're like, oh, but we just need to pray for them. You know what I mean? Oh, we just need to pray for them. Go pray for them in your closet, like by yourself. Like don't, like don't like just start airing people's laundry and fault finding and being like, could you believe that shirt that they wore is awful? Can you believe they said this? Well, I heard it so and so and so and so. And but we do it all the time. I don't know why we do it. It's because we have a stronghold with the critical spirit. And I think that we think that maybe we sit in a box and I'm telling you about being critical and things like that and fault finding and you're going, ah, nah, mine's fine. I'll be okay. I don't have to really worry about that. And I'm telling you right now, like I'm, I'm under weighty conviction because I know that there have been moments in my life where I've done this and I'm like, that's gotta end. Like it's gotta stop because I know I don't sit in a box. We learn that in Joshua, the story of Achan, who just takes a little bit of gold when they plunder a city, and the whole army gets defeated. One dude, the whole army, loses a battle, right? And I don't want to make this like wildly severe in your mind, but like, what if that one little bit of gossip where God's trying to give you wild love. And you can't do this on your own. You can't just like stop fault finding on your own. You've gotta be undone with love for the people in your congregation. You gotta be undone with love for your brothers and sisters. You gotta be absolutely undone with love for your family. And that's how you have love motivated prayer. But what if that little bit of gossip, what if that little bit of fault finding, what about that little bit of a critical spirit is holding everybody else back? Well, what if it is? Wouldn't we want to, like, get rid of it? So we need to repent of that, and I'm, I'll leave that for you to do. But we're never, and I'll tell you this, we're never more like Jesus than when we repent and when we forgive. And then this other thing that I don't think we say very often, but also when we worship. If repentance is the greatest weapon of spiritual warfare, then worship is like right after it. I'm not even sure that you can do both without the other. Right? If repentance is the greatest weapon of spiritual warfare, then worship is right behind it. Hmm. I love this part. I love that in, in this book, uh, Francis Frangipane says, the word host in the Bible means army. It's an important truth that the hosts of heaven 
are worshiping armies. Right? You get that? Like, indeed, he says this, indeed, no one can do warfare that is not first a worshiper of God. We, get, we understand this. You haven't, again, if you've read any bit of Revelation, you've seen this. And we were singing songs that angels were singing while we were singing it just a minute ago, right? But you've got all these armies and these angels and they're going bananas in heaven and they're worshiping, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And we, we know this, we feel this, we see this. Like it is the right response. Frangipane says, yet while this warfare shall culminate in the establishment of the Lord's kingdom on earth, we must realize the essence of this battle is the central issue in our warfare today. Will we faithfully worship God during satanic assault and temptation? (laughs) True worship must emerge now in the context of our daily lives for no man will worship through the great battles of tomorrow, who complains about mere skirmishes today. Woo. What are we complaining about? What are your skirmishes? What are the little things? My heart is that God would awaken in us this true worshiper identity, that we would begin to even identify as a worshiper of Jesus. Everything that we say, we do, we think. We want revival, and I haven't said this in a few years. We want revival. I want you to know it's going to be of love. It's not just fuzzies, feel goods, or like buildings cracking, or or like whatever you can imagine. Like it's going to be love. Love will be the driving force of revival. It will shake inside of you and quake inside of you this way and this way. You will not be able to get out of the idea that you are madly in love with Jesus and everyone you see. It'll break down every single critical thing that you have and it will force you to find your knees to pray and love so much more. It's so good. It's like I can almost taste it. But we need to wake up as worshipers in the good things. God, you are great. In the mundane things, God, you are so great. You are so great. In the hard things, God, you are so great. In the greatest sorrows and breaking and bending of our lives, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is is to come. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do, we just ask right now, Lord, that you would mend our hearts where we have become cold. Lord, that you would revive us. 
Lord, that you would begin to massage those cold muscles, those weak, broken, or torn muscles, God. Lord, to bring life where there has been death. Holy Spirit, we just ask right now, Lord, that all bitterness and critical spirit would just be pushed out of us right now. Just push it out. If, if that's you, if you know, if you know that you've struggled with a critical spirit, with bitterness, um, I'm going to ask you to do something really bold and just stand up. It's probably every one of us, but just stand up. Whew. Thank you, Jesus. And I just want you to put your hands out like this. We're going to do something together. Now check it out. Everybody else? You see your friends? They're standing up. They're making a bold statement saying, you know what? I've struggled with this. Will you stand up with them to encourage them, to walk with them, to walk with me, right? I've walked in this. Stand up with them. We're going to do this together because if one is going to do it, we're all going to do it because we're family. Amen? Come on. I just want you to repeat after me. This, we're just going to go a little, little sozo something. I don't know. We're just going to pray. This is what I feel the Holy Spirit saying, so we're going to do it. Lord Jesus, will you have this critical spirit? Will you cast it back into hell where it came from? In its place, I receive your Holy Spirit. To walk in truth, discernment, wisdom, peace, and above all else, love. Thank you, Jesus. Our ministry teams are going to come uh, this morning. If y'all would, go ahead and make your way up here. And um, I just... I just really feel like I just want to pray to kind of kind of seal some of these things in your heart. So as they come, I'm just going to pray over you and then we're going to respond in worship. We are going to pray as long as there is need. And um, yeah, if you need ministry of any sort, if you maybe don't have a relationship with Jesus, you want to find out what this love is all about, maybe you need to come and get ministry this morning. So Jesus, I praise you. I thank you. God, I ask right now, Lord, that you would continue to seal these things on our heart. Lord, we ask that you would do it here at Riverstone, Lord, that you would do it at all the churches in our area. Lord, that we really would see a revival of your love break out in our town, in our county, in our state, in our country, in our world. Lord, we want you to receive all the glory. So Jesus, would you move in our lives, in our hearts? Make us quick to repent and quick to forgive because we have been forgiven much. In your name I pray.